Hello and welcome to Minda Dialogue episode number 137. This interview is with Mark Brand, Retail Analytics Director at ThoughtWorks, a privately held company with 3,000 employees based out of Chicago and with offices in 12 countries. In this interview, Mark and I talk about the trends in retail, the challenges of using digital in retail, and how brands and retailers can best leverage digital tools, devices, and platforms to drive their business. It's a hot topic. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So, Mark Brand, tell us what you're up to and what is your mindset? Hi, Minta. So, uh, currently, I'm Retail Analytics Director at ThoughtWorks. Uh, we're a global business that helps retailers and others with ambitious missions. Uh, we specialize in digital disruption and lean, rapid technology enablement. Uh, right now, my focus is looking at audience relationship management. So, that's moving beyond traditional CRM to talk about audiences for retailers. One of the things that I was particularly attracted to with ThoughtWorks is that you, you are obviously an ongoing business, but because of your founder and the way you are, you do have a, a more of a, a stronger mission. Tell us a little bit more about the ThoughtWorks mission, per se. Okay, so uh, at ThoughtWorks, we have three pillars to the mission, um, one of which is to run a sustainable business, like any good business, the second of which is to champion excellence in software, and that has a, a lot of different permutations. And the third of which is to campaign passionately for social justice. And that's primarily actually by getting our uh, sleeves rolled up and getting stuck in and working closely with a series of partners to see what we can do to level the playing field and support disadvantaged groups worldwide. And how, how on earth did those things get combined? Uh, I think it was a long time in coming, but if you look at the history of this business, it's certainly been the case that uh, there was always social advocacy at the heart of what happened. And ThoughtWorks has always wanted to do things a different way and look at the possibilities for both uh, our team and the client. And a few years ago, some proper strategic thinking was done around how we were going to set this as a platform going forward. And this third pillar of uh, social justice was really critical to what everyone here really believes in. That's beautiful. So I, one of the, I mean, really what I want to get into is the use of digital in retail, but perhaps we could start with just talking about what, what do you see, because you're the wealth of your experience in retail. What do you see as the big trends in retail? And then we'll get into digital afterwards. Okay, so big trends in retail right now, I suppose for me, one of the big ones would be the increase in luxury as a percentage of global retail, reflecting affluence in brick and other emerging market economies. So that's, that's something we're really seeing. And on the back of that, uh, an increased interest in personalization, both of the customer service experience and of products themselves. All right, in luxury, that makes consummate sense to personalize in general anyway. But the challenge, is it not also about trying to personalize in a mass environment? And how, 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 are some of the, how do you see some of the retailers going about that? 
That's a very interesting question. Looking at mass, uh, once you bring service propositions in on top of, of the basic uh, delivery of goods, things such as Ocado, the online retailer, have spearheaded changes in how we look at grocery. Uh, we want things delivered when we want it, where we want it, how we want it. We want service that brings it not just to the front door, but right up to the fridge. And we then have the opportunity to ask the people who interact with us within those brands for little changes to how they serve and help us. So things don't always have to be highly differentiated in order to be personalized. Mm. All right. So if we, if we dive into the use of digital in retail, what do you see are the big trends within digital now in the retail space? One of the big trends is the opportunity to listen to customers, to listen to the audience and to work with them. So something we did uh, at ThoughtWorks with Domino's Pizza in Australia was develop something called Pizza Mogul, whereby we allowed customers and fans to develop recipes for pizzas that they would like. And they get a royalty from every pizza sold from that recipe. So you've got this great piece of social media interaction, interest in gamification, developing your own pizza, and some really positive feedback when it takes off so that the relationship between the retailer and the brand and the audience and customer is changed. You see you have listening. Anything else that you see? Yeah, I mean, in general, there's this whole piece around treating the audience as an audience, not as a customer. So CRM, customer relationship management, is very much uh, the watchword of many people interested in developing the digital side of their business. But they haven't always considered whether their audience relationship management has been enhanced. And I, I draw a clear distinction between customer and audience. It's not too difficult to work out who's bought from a brand or a retailer in the last few months or how recently, frequently, and to what value they've bought into the brand. It can be quite difficult to see the differences in engagement. So there are the people who have purchased the product, the people who have decided not to purchase a product despite having appraised it, seen it, felt it, smelt it. And then there are people who just haven't really had that opportunity, albeit they're busy or they didn't click into an email or they couldn't dwell long in the shop to really understand what that product had to offer to them. And so it's that understanding between uh, potential customers who were fully engaged but decided against and those who haven't been afforded the opportunity to really get to know you, your brand, your product. I think that distinction is really going to drive better relationship management going forward. So it's this audience piece that appears to be beginning to trend in more forward-looking retailers. Well, I was certainly uh, one of my last guests on the show was Jeff Roars, who talks about audience. And it's obviously this notion of a wider space than just the customer. At the same time, how do you see retailers trying to monetize and or at least evaluate, what I mean evaluate, in a sense where the resources I'm dedicating to engage with my audience is worthwhile? Uh, I suppose there are different ways people can do this, but one of the simplest ways that we've seen in recent years is a move into media by retail and consumer goods businesses. So particularly springing to mind is Net-A-Porter and the Porter magazine, but also businesses such as the online pure play sports business Wiggle, who are also now an events business in a, in a growing sense. Uh, so you have retail and consumer goods businesses who, apart from the business of serving customers through product, are looking at potentially higher margin areas 
in events management, retail publishing, these kind of areas to augment the experience they offer customers. Well, so whether it's Wiggle with the uh, the events or Porter's Magazine, we're being a little bit, we're going broader than just the product that we're serving. Uh, absolutely. I suppose if you look at Wiggle, they've got a customer who one might assume is uh, predominantly interested in endurance sports of some sort, whether they be just a beginner or through to an advanced participant, and therefore sporting events uh, and the coordination around that are going to be of some interest to their current audience. And at the same time, the events market is very attractive, uh, typically earning far higher gross margin uh, as a percentage than any kind of retail might do. So if one has the audience through the purchase of sports equipment, leveraging that to further develop a brand in events management would seem a fairly obvious step, while also offering some kind of value around brand trust and integration and information sharing that uh, the customer should be able to appreciate. All right, well, in England in particular, where you're based and so am I, we, there's this notion of the high street and, and retailers in general are, are getting buffeted by this notion of e-commerce. What do you see are some of the best, what are the, what, what, how are the best retailers leveraging digital in the retail space? I, w- I would almost say to combat this, but at least in any event, to handle this? The interplay between physical retail and digital retail is definitely going to be top of the agenda for most retail and consumer goods businesses for the next decade. And it's very interesting to see businesses from a direct marketing heritage, those businesses that some years ago perhaps sold by catalogue and over the telephone and will more recently have moved into e-commerce and the way that those businesses have treated any entry into physical retailing with stores particularly, but also concessions, versus some of the approaches taken by retailers who are typically primarily store-based retailers. So they come at the same problem from two directions. What's refreshing about the guys with a direct marketing background is that I think they've found some of the positives in physical retailing. After all, let's not forget that the vast majority of retail still occurs in stores. For sure. All right. When you look at the opportunities in digital, there are things like mobile, social, and then you, with 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 some obviously mashup components, you have augmented reality and and different layers of how digital is approaching it. What do you see are the most important things to get right if you're a retailer? I think with the augmented reality and the social, these are interesting uh, artifacts around a a trend for current set of business leaders becoming very excited around the opportunity at the intersection between physical and digital retail. Uh, So the space we hear called fidgetal, part tongue in cheek. But it's a, it's a serious issue because there's a lot of resource being thrown against this quite quickly. And I think one thing to remember is to keep it simple. It's great to have a seamless experience across channels, but it's also great to augment each channel with some of the qualities that traditionally have been associated with others. So a couple of very simple uh, examples of that would be well-tailored online chat, you know, decent offerings around intervention online during the online journey at a point when it's useful from a person, not a machine, who can actually help 
overcome any hurdles with payment or selection or availability, etc., online. And on the other hand, in physical, looking at things like in-store tablets held by staff to help with stock availability, both in that and other stores, to help with look booking, or even to actually help the customer navigate the stock, especially in a larger store, so they can see what is available and what it might look like as an outfit in clothing or a stage set in homewares. These are the kind of things where augmentation from one channel brought to the other is bringing real value quite quickly. There's no doubt. I, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of different examples of these things. So, Mark, as you're dealing with a, a retailer or perhaps a brand, if you will, there are a lot of choices out there. So, oh, you can do gadget this, gadget A, fidget that, fidget this, but the and iPads here, applications and augmented reality. What kind of advice do you have or how do you actually navigate through the choices when you are advising a retailer or a brand? So the basis of our advice is to take a look at where value exists today, uh, to take a lean approach to business development, which is something we've always championed here at ThoughtWorks, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, to commit one's resources to agile development alongside lean business practice. Simply put, that means finding the pots of money, understanding how difficult or how complicated every piece of execution may be, and then building a pipeline where you can see demonstrable return on investment early on and feed that back into an ongoing improvement process. And in particular, my role in these kind of projects is to get a very clear view of the data so we can measure the improvement as we go and be certain around what impact we're having with each step. One of those little things that irritates me endlessly, Mark, when I go into stores as a punter, is these, this notion of Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi uh, is a, as a service, therefore, as a customer. But on the other side of it, of course, there's an opportunity for data collection. What's your viewpoint on Wi-Fi? If you're, if you're advising a brand or a retailer, how do you, <laughs> where do you go with that conversation? I think, I think this goes back to the audience management piece, uh, which is to say that... Uh, the adoption of this kind of technology can seem a bit lazy to the customer. I think one has to be very careful to give at least slightly more to the customer than one is taking as a business. Mm -hmm. And to date, a lot of people have deployed Wi-Fi without really thinking about what it's going to add to the customer beyond, uh, as you say, a, a lazy access to a little bit of free internet surfing time and the ability to gain customer information. Given all of the pains which customers, punters, identify in store around the service experience, around product availability, around speed of checkout, and a whole pile of other issues in addition, it really should be the task or on the agenda of the key stakeholders in the business to look for ways to make the customer experience better, to make the customer journey smoother, and to do those through things such as Wi-Fi and install beacons and all of these good things. And in order to do that, I think you really have to message it very, very clearly to the customer. Try to get a few quick wins early on and then ask the customer for feedback on how that's going, how much they enjoyed that experience. And too often these are passive schemes where one throws these things out there and then doesn't really take a look at how the customer is perceiving this new gift you've given them of free Wi-Fi. Yeah, I I was just in a in a place in in the south of Spain, offering free Wi-Fi, and I was oh that's great. 
it was something new they didn't offer last year. And so I, I logged in and they said, oh, please, in order to get a Wi-Fi connection, you have to like us. So I liked them you know, connecting with my Facebook page, please can I post on your page? Okay. Then once I got through that, I only had to watch a 30 second video and then I finally got Wi-Fi, which uh, having done those two things uh, purportedly gave me seven days of free access before having to do it again. And, uh, and of course, when I finally did it, I got in, the video was as slow as molasses before I finally got through 30 seconds. It was like a two-minute video, a two-minute second, 30-second video <laughs> to get through. Okay. Well, so, so the point is, you know, you may even think about it, but the technology needs to be there in order to support your ideas. Yeah, I think that example is quite instructive because it takes a lot of time and care to think about the trust, the customer trust in the brand in terms of how the brand is going to manage the effort, time, and consideration from the customer. And when you ask the customer to give information, when you ask the customer to fill out a form or take various steps on a, on a tablet or on a mobile, it, I think it's still a trust relationship that needs to be built. And a lot of customers have had bad experiences, even with well-trusted, well-founded brands who would never execute so poorly either in pure digital or pure physical channels. And so thought needs to be given throughout on how the customer is going to perceive each step in the journey and how that's going to play out for them. And I come back to the point that unless there's some offer, uh, a value-based offer for the customer, be it a discount, be it a preview, be it better access to stock or service or preferential checkout or something that really adds value for the customer, then I think brands should be extremely careful about what hoops they ask the customers to jump through, um, even as part of a social media marketing strategy, because these are not standalone channels. Looking around the world, Mark, of um, retailers, are there any that stand out for you uh, as doing the best in a very complicated world in using digital in, to animate or enhance the experience? I mean, you did mention that a portée, but that's in a sort of a... Uh, pure player world. Any any other retailers that come to mind that you think stand out and are worth looking at in terms of examples today? Well, uh, I would I would pick a ThoughtWorks client, but uh, <laughs> we we worked with Mitchell's in the United States, which is a business that uh, services pretty much Fortune 500 chief executives and their families. That 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 sort of level of clientele, with a with an importance placed on. The customer relationship uh, brought about by individual style advisors who look after the interests of individual customers. So this is very much a human, individual customer-based relationship business. This is the guy who did uh, Hug Your Customer? They're, they're uh, high-end retail in Northeast? Uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, I wasn't that's familiar with the Hug Your Customer. Yeah, uh, I, think that's the, I think that's the same one. Yeah, okay, great. So Mitchell's, they take care, and, and is there anything in particular, how do they, how do they manage to take care of these uh, great clients? Well, what they've done, and I think this comes back to uh, augmenting experiences and channels, is that they've taken the close relationship between the individual style advisor and the customer, and ThoughtWorks have helped digitize that so that there can be a whole load of sharing that happens uh, on the tablet, by email, remotely. Um, that delivers the same kind of services you might expect from very, very attentive 
service in the physical space one-on-one. And in each case, all of that is restricted to the individual style advisor and the customer. So this is not just somewhat personalized, but entirely personalized as an experience, but supported digitally. Yeah, it does seem more obvious to go back to the beginning of our conversation, Mark, about the link between luxury and personalization and use of digital. And it gets, because it's so, you know, that's such a privileged relationship. And we're talking about, you know, I put on two kilos, I want to make myself look good. There's a sort of intimacy to it. Then we have this issue of privacy. And so how, I mean, that brings up that, you know, all sorts of, especially if I'm a wealthy individual, wait a second, why do you want my email? Wait a second, why do you want my inside seam? Yeah, I think this is very much the the most pointed part of our discussion around not just asking for the customer's effort and engagement, but asking for their trust. Mm -hmm. We do live in a world where payments, where online actions are tracked. And in the wake of the Edward Snowden debacle, it'd be interesting to see how the public come to view corporate interaction with data, uh, especially in a mass context. And I don't think that the average customer, even well-informed, high-net-worth individuals have really thought through to date what is happening to their data, including parts of their activities, payments, online form filling, Hmm. social media interactions, that they may not quite have understood how those can be wielded by marketing agencies and by consumer businesses themselves out there in in the data sphere. I think it's very important that at each point these interactions are kept at a human level by those who handle data and that they have a very clear agenda and charter for the acceptable use of this data and the importance of making clear to customers how their data is being used and that at least on balance it is in their benefit and not to the detriment of the customer. Mm-hmm. And I think most of this comes not down to a, a big brother issue, but more one of competence. It tends to be that either sloppy, poor, or just simply not thought through customer and data management lead to what one could call some creepy intersections between data and communications. Whereas well-handled, well-thought-out programs where customers and audience members are valued by brands tend to be things that more or less anyone with a clear clear moral compass can handle well and marshal the data in a way that we'd all find acceptable. <laughs> I love what you're saying. And I'm going through my mind about these publicly traded companies with quarterly results with, you didn't use the word, but I think another adjective could be greedy mentality. That uh, So beyond being ethical, sort of there's only thinking about their own bottom line and their, or at least their top line. Uh, you know, to drive sales, you know, we, we need to, we need to slide them some more of this. We need to, we need to up the wallet share. We need to drive some sales through. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot of that kind of pressure that fig- makes us forget to be respectful of the, of the audience's data. Yeah. I, but I think this is one of these things that comes back very clearly to the difference between nurturing an audience and looking at a stream of customers where CRM as the big thing of the early noughties was perhaps the midpoint between these two because audiences are audiences because they trust. Uh, While on the other hand, customers can effectively convert 
or purchase a few times without necessarily having a very close trust relationship. It's fascinating that loyalty was always the phrase used in terms of customer relationships for brands and retailers. Loyalty somehow assumes, bizarrely, that the customer is loyal to the brand, not that the brand treats the customer well. In, in an audience-based relationship, you really need to be the go-to channel, the conduit, the trusted source for whatever it is, be it a service or an area of uh, buying or purchasing, so that at each and every occasion that you're thinking, I need a haircut, I need to go on a holiday, I need to buy some clothing, you go to those brands which own the portal, own the gateway to that world of services and fulfillment. And if you burn trust, it'll be very difficult to retain that very important point of ownership of the audience going forward. And therefore, as a sustainable business, it would be very difficult, I think, to justify, should we say, unethical treatment of the customer, in adverted commas. And I think even shareholders can see that. In a world where the likes of Uber have very rapidly intermediated, if you like, the taxi market, and in doing so, damaged some brands and public service organizations who otherwise own the market previously. You can see how ownership of the audience is critical. I'm sure for businesses such as theirs, the question of trust and use of data will be high up their agenda so as not to jeopardize that audience ownership. I think as physical retail catches up with travel and other services industries, these questions of audience trust will come to the fore. Thinking about that, Mark, I mean, that, I love the way you position that notion of loyalty. The element of payment is, is sort of where the, the rubber hits the road. And, and that's where the data is the most, has to be the most secure. It's where all the, it's where, it's where the money is. And so retailers have to use more, or have credit card companies that are in the middle Brands that are dealing with retailers, the person at the till owns the behavior, the final behavior. And so how do you, how do you, how do you wobble through that murky world if you're a brand or a retailer or a brand in specific? Because they're the ones that have to struggle to find a space within the retailer. I think this might be taken out of the hands of retailers uh, and consumer goods brands in the near future because – Payments are evolving at such a pace where security features and ease of payment mean that there'll be a lot more embedded data at the point of transaction. So mobile payments, which are only now really beginning to pick up, will inevitably allow the payments organizers of various sorts, be they the merchant card acquiring services or the card symbols or the originating banks, etc., potentially to tag an individual along with their card payment details, perhaps even some of their mobile telephone details, something around the e-receipts or the nature of what they've purchased, as well as even potentially some geolocation information, all in one place together. And let's remember that properly handled, this could be a massive benefit to the consumer. The ability to dispense with paper receipts, the ability to keep a very clear log of purchases. These have specific values for the consumer, which could be marketed in a very appealing way for not just most of the consumers, 
but their particular interactions with their loved brands and retailers. So I don't think we need to be pessimistic about that. It just comes back again to how these things are managed as it becomes more and more clear to the majority of consumers that they are surrendering a large amount of data with each transaction. What comes to mind, you mentioned Uber. Imagine if you went to M&S or to Lewis or whatever, and you you make your purchase, you go to the till, and you, you pay it with your mobile, and at the end you get to rate the service of the cashier. The number of times that's sort of that's completely a humanless experience, well, I mean, outside of... <laughs> outside of the automatic till but you know when you go there and you say how in, and you notice her name or his name and and then you go out but then it's sort of just a, and so what yeah this comes back i think partly to the keep it simple mantra which is that for most retail experiences customer delight or disappointment is based on some fairly simple things so experience itself could be a slightly overused word when we go to the supermarket, we'd like all the products to be in stock. We'd like them to be at a reasonable price. We'd like to be able to buy them and get out of the store without too much friction. Uh, long queues at checkouts, lack of availability on key stock items, and somewhat volatile pricing are some of the key niggles that consumers experience in channel. So getting excited around potentially social media uh, other elements of voucherization and all the trends that, that come and go for grocery businesses are the sort of things that can feel like a bit of a distraction as a consumer. Given all of this, I do wonder when I hear about people talking about the experience with a big E, whether we've missed one of the main values in data, which is to run things optimally so that the consumer gets what they want. It's that simple the ability to open up enough checkouts, to run enough automated tills based on waiting times, the ability to make sure that we get that extra pot of coffee powder in in time so that the customer can come in and find it on the shelf when they want it. It's really this stick to the knitting piece where we're all interested and quite rightly so in what the next big thing is. But sometimes we miss the ability of the technology we've recently acquired to do a, a really good job on the basics, which had the customer coming to us in the first place. So for me, that's, that's the burning topic for the next few years. How bringing all of these things together can help us do the basics really right and execute in an advantage terms better than any of the competition to keep the customers coming back. Spectacular. Oh, last question for you, Mark, which um, wanted to look at the relationship between brands and the uh, retailers or the wholesalers. Because the, the wholesaler is multi-brand by more or less by definition, I should say, and has these brands that are you know being stocked. The purchase is happening at the till of the wholesaler. There's Wi-Fi that's mandated or at least, you know, at least operated by the wholesaler. The, the the person who might come in is looking for the brand in this location. You know, obviously these kind of complex relationships. How do you, what sort of advice do you have or configuration could you provide for trying to unlock the value in this relationship between the brand and the wholesaler? It's a very interesting one. Uh, a series of consumer brands have over the last few years followed this path of licensing a large part of their global or sector-specific distribution and then bringing it back in-house only to license it out again. And this is one of those things that goes, goes in a wave. One of the things that's, that's quite striking is 
the lack of efforts on the part of the world's leading consumer goods businesses to build a closer rapport and relationship with their clients, their customers, their real end users, rather than looking just at selling through their retail channels. Given the opportunities presented with the internet and digital media in general, and specifically with smartphones, it's very surprising that most of these brands haven't looked for simpler ways to incentivize their customers to get in touch and to deal with the brands direct. Now, obviously, Coca-Cola and, and similar businesses have adopted very striking strategies over the last few years to engage the interest and excitement of the customers. But in terms of durable consumer goods, whether it be in clothing, homewares, music, books, other areas that traditionally have gone largely through a series of multi-brand distribution channels. Cosmetics. Exactly. Cosmetics as well, absolutely. The brands themselves haven't really reached out effectively to the customer. Uh, And it's quite surprising to me that that's the case because there are opportunities to both gain the customer's interest in direct merchandising, to gain their interest in terms of associated offers, and often, given the width and breadth of some of these brands, to move customers from being low-value, high-frequency customers for widely disseminated goods within the range to towards being a, a rather more premium purchaser of high-value, less-frequent more service-led product within the range, given that most of the large brands play across the premium through to basic spectrum. It's a technical issue that's exercised me recently because we've had a couple of cases to deal with. And it is something that does surprise me. There's a bit of a blind spot in terms of some of the executive leadership in the brand world in dealing with this. Why do you think that's the case? I think perhaps traditionally the effort of simply coordinating a whole series of third-party channels, the logistics of forecasting sell-through and coordinating marketing and media campaigns to support sales has, like all retail operations, been so intense and so engrossing that the focus on as-is, business-as-usual operation, has remained all-consuming for most of those people with the responsibility for keeping profitability and market share up in these businesses. And the ability, or at least the time and the, the bandwidth to look ahead, has been limited. Totally. Uh, you know, uh, where I go with that conversation is the the viewpoint that, oh, great, internet, we can do e-commerce, which means we can we can raise our margins, we don't have to bloody pay the middle people for for their for their margins, and uh, we can make high, we can make more profit. And so you have that sort of mindset on the one hand, and then the other one, which goes back to something you said earlier, which is about listening uh, in the form of customer service. And I was, I was having fun the other day, and I'm going to pursue this particular conversation, of evaluating companies based on the facility with which and the, uh, and the number of options uh, that they give to, for customer service, uh, specifically in a digital format. And so on the one hand, these very same companies that are saying, oh, we're great, e-commerce, are hiding themselves and trying to stuff the customer service component down at the very bottom and the last resort. And if it's possible, let's make it automatic. And, you know, gosh, we might be, you know, we have to cut our costs to the maximum. 
Yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. It brings to mind for me the music industry, which obviously where CD and physical sales have fallen very dramatically and the majority of the market sits online, not to say with iTunes. And it's surprising the extent to which most of the leading record labels don't make more strenuous efforts to gain customer and indeed audience details for fans and purchasers of specific tracks and artists, both in order to understand what further digital content they could retail and also to understand what other merchandise experiences, events and other ongoing opportunities there are to interact with those customers. It's really quite striking in that specific space where most of the physical product and therefore the channel management issues have fallen away, that that extra effort doesn't appear to have at least gained traction, if not necessarily been fully locked in on acquiring the attention of the end user as customer and their interaction with the record label itself. And so I think in a space where it should be, technically speaking, far easier being purely digital, it's kind of indicative if that's the problem that's being had without all of these complexities around physical supply chain, that the mindset of those in consumer goods has not perhaps caught up with the opportunities presented to them. Fabulous. Well, Mark, great to have you on the show. I, a lot of great insights. I really appreciated that and well explained, very clear. And um, last question, how can anyone get in touch with you or follow you if the, if the case may be? What, what would you prefer? Uh, great. Well, please do take a look at thoughtworks.com and thoughtworks.com forward slash retail. Otherwise, uh, my Twitter handle is at Mark Branding. And I forward a series of ThoughtWorks comments and info pieces there. Please do drop us a line and get in touch if there's anything we can help with. Well, I must say, with a name like Mark Brand, how can we not? <laughs> Mark, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Minter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of They're pretty in their own
lasting values We'd hang our portraits in the hallways Make our house guest cringe Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Seeing all your colors on the canvas As we paint a lover's portrait With all your This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.